0: Hello and thank you for joining us on today's podcast. My name is Josh Goldfarb. I'm Vice President and Chief Technology Officer for Emerging Technologies here at FireEye. On today's podcast, I'm joined by Paul Nguyen, Vice President for Orchestration at FireEye. Today I'm I'm going to talk to Paul a little bit about a popular topic these days uh, among customers and many others in the security community, which is that of security orchestration. Welcome to the podcast, Paul.
1: Thanks a lot, Josh.
0: So, Paul, let me begin uh, by asking you, can you provide just sort of a basic introduction to the FireEye Security Orchestrator and why you chose to develop a technology in this space?
1: Sure, I'd be happy to. So FireEye Security Orchestrator is a uh, platform that helps you unify your disparate technologies that uh, don't have any inherent integration interoperability and really automates uh, your response to the overflow of alerts and events that are coming from... The various solutions. So really, it's it's meant to augment and be a force multiplier for your security analysts to help them be more effective and efficient in in dealing with their day-to-day tasks within the security operations center. And it's interesting. Um, I really started down this journey about six years ago when I started um, Invotas, and really, what we're focused on at the time was a program uh, in a partnership with the federal government around a program called Active Cyber Defense which was how can you leverage um, some scalable software to have machine speed response to attacks because the issue was really the human latency and um, having humans in the loop for everything is, is really not the most effective way. And I would say about three years ago when we launched the company, it um, really wasn't a, an interesting topic, um, I think mostly because... Um, People were, were doing just okay, and it was a compliance-driven environment. But I think in a lot of ways, Mandiant um, helped to raise visibility, which led to uh, a spree of spending of technology in 2014, 2015. And I think customers at that point turned around and said, you know, I have a lot of technology, but I don't have a lot of people to, to scale to be able to operate and to manage all the alerts that are being generated. So I think our, our value proposition changed to more of a how do you get more time back and start to reallocate that time. So it's, it's interesting to see the, the space evolve in the last three years. And I think 2016 has really been uh, the advent of orchestration and uh, really looking forward to 17 where I think it will really hit the mainstream.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting. And for the benefit of the listeners, can you help us tie together this concept of making more efficient use of the human resources I do have to to that of risk mitigation. When we think of security, we we kind of think more or less of a risk mitigation exercise or or a profession built around risk mitigation. Can you help us understand the connection between um, limiting, minimizing, managing, mitigating risk and and making more effective use of my human resources?
1: Absolutely. So I think the the, the most tangible way that we look at it is – orchestration is not an inherently a detection or a prevention capability in and of itself. Uh, really what it is is meant to emulate what, what humans do in automating human tasks. So if you if you look at what humans do today when you're talking about your tier one, two, three security analysts, they're consuming a lot of alerts, typically something from either directly from sensors or from uh, a SIM technology, and what that leads to is um, a throughput issue if you have a growing amount of alerts and let's call them you know let's call a thousand just to, to make it a nice round number and you can only scale to to really uh i should say a thousand a day let's say you can only scale to meet half of that workload just because of the limited time and the limited resources you have you may not be effectively dealing with all of your alerts or risks that uh, potential risk that might be coming through because not every alert is ne- necessarily potentially an incident and so, if you have one, a scalability, you should be able to meet that um, growing volume. Um, and we've we've seen from some of the breaches, some of the alerts that come through, may could may be impactful incidents or alerts that could be um, have a negative consequence or a potential huge impact to your environment. And so, if you're missing that, then obviously you're not be able to keep up with um, with the uh, the threat environment itself. So th- this is where orchestration comes in to help to one uh, continually try to scale to meet the thousand events a day, just as this, in this particular example, and the, the other is if you're effectively managing the, um, the risk exposure window from, I think on average, when you look at the, some of the, the prominent reports out there, you know, it could be days or weeks or months that these uh, attacks persist. And if you're able to cut that down from you know seconds to minutes or hours, based upon how much automation you're leveraging, you're also reducing the the risk exposure window of those attacks. So I think there's there's twofold scale and then the reduction in the risk exposure window.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting. Say I'm running a security orchestration uh, organization and I want to get I want to dip my feet into the topic of orchestration. How how do organizations typically begin to adopt security orchestration into their security architecture?
1: So I think um, when we look at orchestration, uh, a lot of questions that I guess I get asked are, is this a SIM? And, and the answer is no. We actually are trying to uh, complement a lot of the solutions today. So we, we don't displace any t- existing technology. We We tend to... Uh, integrate with sim technologies to ingest alerts and then we integrate with the rest of the technology ecosystem to create that unification as if it was a single architecture, uh, which I think is something that hasn't existed today. The only way you tie products together today is either uh, by people having to bounce from one console to another from, from different product vendors, or we've uh, seen some customers who have homegrown different custom scripts uh, in you know, picture language, uh, Bash, Perl, Python. And I think all of those have not been able to scale to meet the the current need, and so when we look at it, really what we're displacing is the human. So in this, in the context of the security architecture, where we like to work with customers to start is, you know, let's let's see where your humans are spending most of their time. And more often than not, what we find is uh, customers are spending anywhere between fifty to eighty percent of their time, if you look at their analyst time as fixed units, in what we call high frequency, low impact events. So those low impact events could be anything from Uh, false positives or what I call self-inflicted wounds where uh, users are doing things that they're not supposed to be doing like navigating to websites and uh, triggering an alert and someone has to go investigate that Uh, although those may not be necessarily a high risk it still takes time away to to at least triage and investigate those alerts so really I think looking at um, where humans spending most of their time are those good candidates for automation and start to onboard those um, processes into the orchestration to begin the process of automating those as much as possible so really focusing on the low-hanging fruit and plugging it into areas that uh, can get you a, a tangible ROI right off the bat
0: yeah I think that's a, a very uh, interesting concept there but customers are often concerned about risk or any sort of downside or, or negative uh, side effects did you see any of these when when an organization begins to make the transition into orchestration
1: definitely and uh i would say the the biggest fear is it's not necessarily the orchestration itself it's um it's the automation side of uh, of the effect and uh, i think as security professionals and you know myself I've, I've been in this industry for the past 15 years i think we've always been inherently concerned about um any automation and i think it started with things like ips and you know, av automatically blocking things and i think that's where some of that inherent concern around automating blocks is really something that um, bubbles up and concerns folks because if you, you start to take down, let's call it the CEO's email, you take down services, that becomes a potential risk both for our customers as well as for us as a solution. And so where when customers start to, to really look at orchestration automation, we tend to start with um, I'll call it the low consequence low regret actions. And that could be anything from, um, and we typically see alerts coming in, and what analysts will typically do is uh, what we call enriching the event or contextualizing the event to get a sense of what is this event and what does it mean to me. And they'll do things like copy and paste an IP address from, Uh, their SIM console into a threat intelligence feed, get those results, copy and paste that down into a notepad, and continue that um, constant um, enrichment exercise until they get a full picture of what is this event, I need to make a decision, and now I want to take action. And you can still use automation by leveraging human-in-a-loop or human-controlled actions, which are okay, I have presented the user with all the data to make that decision, and do they feel confident that if we do push blocks out that it's the right action to take related to that event? And so that gives you semi-automation. Right? You're not all the way to the automation side, but it gives you automation of some pretty benign, low-consequence um, actions within that, that work stream or process. And I think that's where customers have started to... Um, go down the journey of automation, although we have seen now customers who have been adopting it for quite a long time are getting to the point where they're full, fully automating several of their events uh, where they just don't even want to see the, uh, hit the analyst console at all and not even take time away and just have a full audit trail of uh, how do we handle the event, what do the system do, and now you have full traceability of, um, from alert all the way down to fix. So that's, I think, where, uh, where people most get concerned is around the automation side.
0: Yeah, it sounds like organizations like to start by putting a, one or two steps into the water, and then gradually uh, automating and, and, and orchestrating more and more. Um, you know, to the extent that they're comfortable with, and, and of course, as they become more familiar with and comfortable with the technology. So that definitely seems to be a, like an approach. It seems like an approach that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, now, when an organization wants to go down this road, what type of buy-in do they typically need?
1: That's a great question. I, I think um, if I take a step back and look at just security organizations in general, and I, I spent some time as a CISO, and uh, it's, it's one thing when you sit there and you own a security program, yet you don't own any of the systems because they're typically owned by IT or any of the business processes that we're, we're trying to protect are also owned by the business side. So it's, it's interesting what security is is this overlay that doesn't really have a lot of control over uh, some of the assets directly, but at the same time, there are things within security that can be done, and this does vary across from different organizations, of course, by the way they're structured and the, the empowerment of the security program. Um, but normally, we, we typically want to start in the control boundaries and the authorization boundaries of the security program itself um, we 've seen instances where some security programs may not even own any of the technologies like the uh, you know, the idss or any of even the sensor capabilities but um, in some cases where they do own some of those assets and they could use those as mitigation points. um, They'll use those as um, a way to push some of their enforcement actions whether it's blocks or or whatnot. Um, So one is getting internal buy-in within the security program. That's that's first and foremost, both from the uh, chief information security program um, chief information security officer, I should say, at the top, all the way down to your SOC managers and your SOC analysts. And even within your security operations center, you've got two parts. You have your analyst side, and then you have your engineering and infrastructure operations side, which are building for the analysts. So getting all of those uh, folks bought in internally within security, I think, is step one. And then step two to really unlock the value of automation is getting the broader organization involved and getting the buy-in from IT because, you know, there are po- there's a lot of handoffs between security and IT, whether it's, um, you know, desktop teams or server teams or firewall teams on the other side in IT that have to actually push some of those actions and facilitating that um, I think would be more efficient if we can get um, IT as well as the business all bought in. So that's, I think that's a longer-term uh, view, but start with security internally first on the operation side and then build out into the other operational components of, of the organization with IT and also with the business in the long run.
0: Yeah, that seems to make a lot of sense. You basically start by building bridges and relationships and then follow up with technology for orchestration and automation to really reinforce those relationships. Um, are, do, you, do you have some examples handy or a few different use cases where this type of transition has been successful?
1: Sure, absolutely. I think one of our most popular use cases, and this is one that is, I think, a uh, pain point and one that um, a lot of different organizations, we've seen this pattern across both large enterprises and small enterprises, is this concept in abuse, uh abuse mailbox. And what that really is is, uh, let's call it. You know, uh, a bank has abuse at bankxyz.com uh, set up, and it's an inbox where users or customers can submit emails that um, they believe could be sub- suspicious. And they're they've been trained very well through security awareness to to bubble these things up and send them over. And even in some organizations, there's some stringent SLAs to respond back to the users and, uh, and customers pretty quickly so you can ensure a, a customer service element of it. And, and really what that use case is, is um, picking up an email, monitoring that inbox. Uh, once an in, uh, email comes in, picking it up, uh, taking out any attachments or URLs, because typically those are the delivery mechanisms for, for any malware, and analyzing the, the URLs and the, um, the attachments via some of their technologies, well sandboxing technologies like FireEye provides or the URL analysis as well, and then getting the results back, um, making an automated decision in terms of it's malicious or not, and then presenting the user, uh, the analyst, I should say, with the options to, one, automatically send a notification back to the user to let them know whether it's a uh, benign email or a malicious email, and automating that whole process uh, allows them now to get through the the volume of emails that they're getting in, and in some cases, we see thousands of emails coming in on a daily basis with some of our customers and um ki- trying to keep up with that load is is pretty hard and uh, you know just automating the analysis and the notification back to users is is giving them tremendous value just through semi automation if they want to take more aggressive actions like blocking the URL blocking the i p address <clears throat> block how long a domain. Now, those are all options that can be human-controlled. So, so I'll give you one example. Um, one customer in particular, it was about 83 minutes end-to-end for them to do the uh, the email ingest all the way to the final remediation. And using semi-automation, we we're getting we we're able to get it down to 33 minutes. So, you're getting a pretty significant savings in terms of time related just to one instance of that. And if you multiply that by you know, a thousand emails a day, you start to extrapolate out to the point where you're almost getting uh, uh, one and a half, two FDEs back a year just in time savings really, to one use case. Um, and that one in and of itself is, is doesn't have to be outside of the security program itself. It could be just self-contained within the security program and they, they can run that whole analysis themselves and provide the notica- notification back to the user. You know, I think that's probably one of our most popular use cases right now just because it's an easy place to start.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, those definitely sound like pretty good use cases. And of course, uh, the sky's really the limit as we begin to think about all the potential that uh, an organization could have to build security orchestration and automation into their uh, security program. And so what level of investment are we talking about? If we, if we want to move to more towards a narrative-driven model using orchestration, what what type of investment, what level of investment are we talking about?
1: That's a great question. So uh, it, it's funny. Our, our value proposition is all around time. And sometimes when we talk, well, talk to customers, it's like, oh, we're so busy. you know, We just don't have any time to look at these capabilities. And it's a, it's a little ironic because you want to say, okay, well, you maybe you have to take a little bit of a step back and see where can you get time back by implementing automation within your organization. And I think that's probably the, the biggest investment is really time for, for our customers because they're firefighting and on the front lines every day trying to keep up with – all the uh, the alerts and some of those alerts are real incidents and, and when you 're in that vicious cycle it 's hard to break that cycle to take a step back and say, yeah, where can we get better and how do we evolve ourselves from where we are today and automation i think is is now bubbling to the top as one of those key areas of that 's how that 's the only way we can bridge this gap um, the, of course the other the other investments I think is uh, you know just uh, understanding where your analysts are are working today, because one of the biggest um, I say issues that we see is if you ask five different analysts in the same security operations center what the process is for abuse mailbox, and what we found is you'll get five different answers sometimes. And understanding what your actual process is that needs to be codified and digitized within an orchestration platform, and that becomes the uh, method to quote unquote keep your analysts on rail is is really a hard first step for for those customers because they really don't know where to start. And we've had even comments where we said, wow, you've documented our process even better than we have. And I think that's um, that's typically hard to get alignment on what is it that we actually want to automate and you know how much of that do we want to actually automate. Um, outside of that, you, of course, have the investment in, uh, in any of the, the types of orchestration capabilities like FireEye Security Orchestrator to get that up and running and plugged into your environment
0: great so sounds sounds like um the first steps revolve around really identifying um you know which processes are sucking the most cycles out of the human resources, mm-hmm. and then of course where it would make sense to introduce that orchestration that automation. Uh, how do you go about measuring return on investment in that type of a
1: situation? yeah, that's a great question, and uh, one that we continually get asked and um you know, again, being in this field for so long, I think a lot of the ways that we used to sell security was through uh, FUD, you know, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And if you don't have the latest technologies, you'll get compromised. I think orchestration is a little more pragmatic in the sense that this is really delivering you a tangible ROI, and that ROI is really around the time savings and the efficiency. So the example I gave you is if you extrapolate out, I'm going to save about 3,000 hours over the year because currently a process that, takes me on average about, you know, the, using the example of the EBS mailbox, 83 minutes, I now have a baseline of where my performance is today. If I leverage a certain level of automation or semi-automation, I'm getting down to 33 minutes, you know, now I, I could see I have a, you know, tens of percent reduction on that in execution of that particular use case. Now, as you onboard more and more, use cases, you obviously unlock more and more of that time savings, and also the more automation you continue to leverage as you get more comfortable, you get more and more of that time savings. So one of the the key elements that we have as um, some metrics for the executives, and this is some of our customers are asking, is, hey, can I get a 30-day snapshot of how much time we've saved over the last 30 days? Because it really helps drive the performance of... um, of the SOC and bubbling up to management and say, hey, we're getting better and better at what we're doing. You know, We have gotten back close to three FTEs now just on these handful of use cases and we're getting more scalability out of our limited resources. So I think one, getting an understanding of how long does it take uh, for you to execute it manually today And where is the automation taking? And the the system itself helps to calculate that ROI because we want to help to reinforce that the automation, the security orchestrator is continually delivering value almost like every minute of the day. So all about time savings and efficiency.
0: Yeah, that's actually refreshing because I know um – for many of us in the security field that have been around for a while, calculating return on investment and explaining in in metrics that that management or or executives or a board can understand how we're having an impact is something that is very challenging for many of us. Uh, So I think that's probably going to be a refreshing point for many of the listeners and something that uh, many people will take home as a a point. Um, I guess I would ask, uh, if we broaden that a bit, how do we measure the the overall improvement across the entire IT infrastructure, across all the different tools and all the different processes and whatnot? How, how do you kind of expand that that uh, measurement of improvement?
1: I think that's uh, it goes hand-in-hand hand with what I just said. Um, what it also, once you're... Because I think the one thing that we've been missing today is a real, real insight into how effective are we at doing what we're doing day in and day out. And if you think about... Uh, Manual processes that are very human-driven, there really isn't a good data trail of what do they do, when do they do it, how do they do it, and what do they do it to. And I think this is where orchestration now has visibility into a data set that didn't exist, which is really an end-to-end audit trail of from alert ingest all the way to remediation you can now measure really the uh... performance of the execution of that so there's a couple different parts let's say for example the SOC is responsible for doing the analysis all the way up to the point of saying yes i uh... understand what this is I want i push remediation but it's owned by uh... the firewall team on the it side so that means i may have to generate a ticket into their uh... instance of you know call remedy ServiceNow, whatever ITSM solution that they're using to manage their IT processes and we can monitor the status of that ticket once it gets closed uh, by the firewall team and say yes we put the block out we can then go kick off auto validation because the funny thing is the one thing that we always see missing sometimes is was that block really put in place, and has anyone validated that? And the answer most of the time is no. And so we can automatically trigger validation. Okay, the block actually wasn't put in place. Great. You know, we can update the status within the secure orchestration side to keep an audit trail. If not, we can uh, open the, reopen the ticket, send a communication back to the firewall team and say, hey, the block was not put in place properly. Please revisit and uh, close the ticket when it's, um, when it's been put in place. So you, you can now see the performance of security, as well as the personnel within security, as well as IT uh, and their role within the remediation side and how their team is performing. And so a lot of the visibility that we're getting asked for is, one, how are my analysts doing? If there's human-driven actions that they have to take and they're taking, on average, 30 minutes to execute their tasks, you know, is it because of um, uh, a human capital issue and you know, people are going on coffee breaks all the time, whatever it is, it now gives them visibility into optimizing and tuning both their process and their technologies and their people to be able to, to really get insight into how do I get better at what I'm doing. And it's a journey. I mean, you can't turn this on overnight and expect everything to be perfect, but it now gives you a way to diagnose the performance of your program overall and really start to tweak different knobs to, to really get to that point of um, efficiency. And it, it's a multi-year journey as you start to onboard more and more, but I think that's where really we're getting visibility and transparency into the execution side that didn't exist and allows customers now to really, uh, one, hold themselves accountable accountable and hold their people accountable. Um, But the one thing that we keep getting uh, feedback is I've invested in a lot of technologies, but maybe at most I'm getting 40% value out of each of those technologies because it's a capacity issue. I just can't potentially throw enough people at it to unlock the full value. And this is where I think... um, we're, we're elevating the overall security architecture and the technologies that they've invested in is, is unlocking more and more value of that technology stack that they've invested in. So it's, it's all about that, that ROI of getting more scale and efficiency and, and really getting more out of uh, the limited resources they have and, and the investments they've already made.
0: Yeah, I think that's an important point. You know, it's a journey. Security's a journey, not a destination. You continually improve and obviously need to have a strategic approach to risk mitigation, but a lot of times, organizations get they fall down or get tied up and in, in sort of uh they get lost in the weeds and, and orchestration seems like a good way to really uh kind of help people pull up a little bit from that and, and really take a much more uh broad and strategic view and get a much better understanding of uh what's really going on and where processes are effective and efficient and where they're not so that those are some those are some
1: great points
0: before we uh before we end the podcast any final thoughts for our
1: listeners yeah, I think it's a lot of it is is what I said before. Um, you know, sometimes you you just need to take a step back, and yeah, I know it's hard when when there's a lot of things happening. But I think automation can help uh, everyone ultimately get better. And as we look to really harness the power of the community to to come up with ways to and creative ways to respond, um, you know, really the most exciting thing for me. Coming into FireEye is uh, harnessing the the knowledge and the mindshare of, of FireEye, Mandy, and Eyesight, and and really helping to codify that uh, expertise and, and leveraging that for orchestration, which was something that's very unique that I couldn't have as a I would say more as a vendor-agnostic, Switzerland approach to the ecosystem and integrating with everyone. I think there's a lot of value now that I've seen uh, being within FireEye that um, we can now harness for. The, the betterment of our customers as we look at the different um, components of, of FireEye. So I'm, I'm really excited about that and uh, it's never too late to, to start. Um, you could start with some pretty easy use cases and get some pretty tangible uh, value pretty quickly and, and that's one of the key things that we've always focused on is time to value for customers. We don't want you to get value within months, we want you to get value within hours or days. And so um, start with some low-hanging fruit, you know, easy use cases, take a step back where you're spending a lot of time and, and start there. Yeah, you know, I think that's uh, it's it's never too late to start.
0: Yeah, I think those those are some uh, great thoughts, and you know that's a great a great point to end with. So, so with that, thank you, Paul, for joining us on today's podcast about security orchestration. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in as usual. And again, if you'd like to hear additional FireEye podcasts, please find us on iTunes as well. Thank you all for tuning in, and have a great day.